Hello coders, welcome to episode 165 of the How to Code Well podcast. Today I want to talk about flaky tests. What are flaky tests? What causes flaky tests and how to fix them? Because, oh yes, I have flaky tests in the howtocodewell.net platform. Before we get into that, though, let's dive into the changelog because there's a few things uh, that I've been doing in the evenings and uh, the weekend as to updating the Kubernetes cluster on the howtocodewell.net platform for the staging deployment. So I can say officially now that we have a, a domain that is running the ingress controller that's using uh, a Helm uh, workload that uh, does the nginx uh, load balancer, which is great. That's uh, that seems to be working okay. And I've got a couple of problems connecting to certain services outside of the Kubernetes cluster that I'm going to be working my way through uh, this weekend, and then maybe some of the evenings uh, next week. Once I have those things sorted, we should then hopefully be in a position where I can actually do some deployments, some proper deployments of proper code outside of the realms of DevOps. So actually adjusting things, getting it deployed. And we should be good then, hopefully, fingers crossed, we should be in a good position. So before we get into the flaky tests, there's a couple of things that I wouldn't mind mentioning. Just some some news, some articles that I found interesting uh, recently. So the first one is kind of like sowing the seed, I guess, for podcast 2.0. You may have heard what this is, or you might not have, um, depending on what podcast you listen to. I've been listening to certain podcasts recently that have been talking about this for a while. And actually, I I've had my eyes on this for a while. Uh, the podcast 2.0 kind of comes in sort of four different sort of flavors, I suppose. Not flavors, but there's parts, of four different parts. So... There's the podcast index, which is the index of all podcasts. Then there is the podcasting namespace, which is a the new namespace of 2.0. It's going to have all sorts of new uh, or has new uh, XML tags that can be used. And all of this, by the way, is open source, which is why I'm quite interested in it. There's also uh, Podping, which is a... It's kind of like a notification system, but it uses the blockchain for podcasts. And then there's value for value, which I won't dive into today because I'm probably going to talk about these in their entireties, uh, sort of give them give them their own shows, I think, to talk about them. I just want to point you into that direction of the link. So I have a link here to a Medium article that explains those four things in, in greater detail. And... Um, yeah, I have my eye on it and I'm going to see if there is any kind of backlog tickets that I can write up to investigate these things further from a technical standpoint. So in regards to the podcast namespace, uh, seeing what I need to do to adjust the RSS feed to allow for uh, the podcast 2.0 title to be put on or the tag, I should say, to be added tags, I should say, to be added to our podcast thing. And this, I mean, this is benefiting the podcast environment in its entirety. You know, it's improving it. The podcast hasn't really been standardized um, for a long time. And the podcast 2.0 is a way to do that with new technology. And there is things in there for, say, value for value and the not new notification stuff. So 
it's a way of allowing, let's just say this, it's a, it gives opportunities to creators that weren't necessarily there in the beginning. And also it gives the listeners an opportunity as well to have uh, feedback, give feedback uh, through this new technology, i.e. through, say, the blockchain um, to the podcast creators, which, you know, it's it's a it's a good thing i suppose i need to look into it even further just to see how if it's worth doing uh if i think that the time spent to adjust the podcast to use the podcast 2.0 spec is worth doing um i know that there are some podcasts that i listen to that do use the podcast 2.0 and do use value for value and do use the pod ping and the namespace and all of that stuff and they are available on applications and phone apps and stuff that are outside the 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 sticky reaches shall we say of things like spotify and uh apple and stuff and it's an it's a from that perspective from a creator's perspective that's quite nice because then you start becoming more sort of independent and you you have more control over things so i use for instance spotify which isn't the greatest uh which isn't the greatest um platform shall we say from a creator's point of view in terms of you know creating content however it's it's great from a distribution point of view but the podcast 2.0 stuff they are it's quite attracting from a creator standpoint so things like for example having different tags that that say different things having transcripts for instance that's a really big one from uh, from my standpoint having having the ability to have transcripts in the rss feed having the ability to to have things like you know proper seasons and episode numbers and other things that really should have been there right at the beginning anyway I, i've talked about this enough so i've put a link down in the show notes below there about uh, those four parts of podcast 2.0 it's a it's a decent article on on medium uh, that you can read just because i will probably be mentioning podcast 2.0 uh, in the future so you know in case anybody listens to a future episode and they're like what on earth are you talking about this here is kind of like the kickoff of that okay another one another article that i wouldn't mind mentioning is that the symphony logs um there is a a, a, a let's rewind there is a interesting tutorial that i read it's actually quite a fairly short tutorial and it's quite a fun one and this is where you can actually send symphony logs from monologue into uh, slack so you create a slack application so this tutorial shows you how to create a little slack application and then you can send your symphony uh, logs to slack as a notification so you could create your own slack channel and you can send logs to there I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? Because then you could start looking for certain patterns in the logs or you can send specific, only specific log entries to um, to like a debug Slack channel. That's pretty cool. So yeah, I've, I've put a, a link in the show notes to that too. And this makes me think that maybe, maybe I could do like a video tutorial on this or maybe look at how to do this on the Discord platform as well. That would be quite, pretty interesting. Um, the other article that I wouldn't mind talking about is regarding Python. So um, the 
the normal way of of sending Python requests and responses or handling those um, is changing. So usually what you would do is use the WSGI, which if I get this right, the Web Server Gateway Interface. And this has been around for a long time in the Python world, but this has been upgraded and improved using the AS, uh, ASGI, which is the Asynchronous Server Gateway Interface. So the, the, I've got a, a, a link here to an article that explains this in more detail and actually gives you um, examples of how to do this. Essentially, this is using um, asynchronous code in Python. And they talk about in this article how, you know, the, the, the other the frameworks that are using it. So, for example, Fast API is using it. Um, Django 3 is using it. So this is the um, the asynchronous side of things will help speed up and um, make your applications better in Python, which I'm, I'm quite interested in. Um, because there are some things on the How to Code Well platform which I wouldn't mind writing in Python eventually. And when I do so, I will be using the asynchronous stuff. So there we go. Okay, so let's get straight into the point of the show, which is flaky tests. So first of all, what is a flaky test? What what does that mean? Well, a test that's flaky is a test that has that that does sometimes pass and does sometimes fail and you this usually happens very randomly and this is incredibly frustrating this usually happens or it usually fails at the worst possible time and it's usually failing for a reason that isn't very obvious straight away so this can happen in all sorts of test scenarios. So it could happen from a unit test point of view, but it's more often in my experience, usually happening in an acceptance test. So a unit test is obviously testing a single piece of work, whereas an acceptance test would be testing an acceptable um, part of the code, right? To make sure that it meets, hits the acceptable criteria. So that usually means like an end-to-end test so or an integration test, something where we're testing multiple things at once or a, a user story. And some of those tests, they can take uh, a bit of time because they need to bring in various different resources. And this is where a lot of the problems lie. But you can still get this. You can still get flaky tests in unit tests. And um, I've had this a couple of times before, but like I said, it's usually in my case for integration and acceptance tests. With the unit tests, they're easier to fix because it's a single unit of work. Um, So that's what a flaky test is, a test that sometimes passes and sometimes fails. And it's very random when that happens. So what causes a flaky test? Why does a flaky test occur? So this this can happen for a number of reasons. Um, for me personally, I do a lot of testing in dev, in the dev world, right? In in the development mode, and when it goes off to the pipeline, that's usually handed off to another um, another server somewhere in the cloud, probably that is specific. Its its only use case is for the testing, right? So it's got a very um, single purpose to do the tests. And so it has a set of resources allocated to that. When I'm testing in development, though, when I'm actually on my dev laptop and I'm writing tests and I'm running tests, occasionally a couple of uh, flaky tests will appear. And in my case, this is usually because there is either um, something on the laptop that's taking up the resources 
for example, I could have too many Chrome tabs open. I could have, um, I could be running tests whilst I'm, I'm um, sort of do in a meeting, or I could be watching a video, or I could be doing all sorts of other things on the on the machine that the tests are actually running. And because um, the test that's running at that time is actually quite something that needs a lot of resource, and there is a lot of resource that's already being used, then what normally happens is that the tests slow down to the point where they time out, or something happens, you might get a race condition, something obscure happens because those resources that you are wanting to give to your tests are actually allocated somewhere else. This doesn't usually happen when you're handing the tests over to uh, a testing server that just does tests because they have a specific allocation of resources that is being set for those tests to actually pass. So allocation of resources is, is, is usually, uh, in my case, a problem on the development machine. Um, so an underpowered testing suite, right? So also tests that run in random orders, they can also kick off flaky tests. So when you're testing things randomly, um, they can, you know, in a, in a random order. So let's say you've got five tests and you're running them in very different orders. Maybe those tests require an actual order to be ran in, um, but because you're doing them randomly, it randomly fails. <laughs> That's happened. Uh, to me before, where you don't um, appreciate how coupled your your test tests are, you think they're actually quite isolated. So you run run them randomly, and which means that randomly they fail <laughs> because you you're not aware that you should have done some probably tidy up of the tests after they've actually been processed. So that's another one. So tests are not cleaning themselves after they are actually processed. So what I mean by cleaning, for example, getting rid of any artifacts that the test has produced. Say, for example, if you're writing a test that deals with creation of a file and the contents of that file, not having not not having the ability to remove that file after the test. Usually in a test suite, you have some methods that you can call upon that deals with things that happen after the test has run or before the test has run, or even even after or before the test suite has run. Um, so at that point, you would do your your tidy up. You bring the tests to a bring your test environment to a point that is that is um, reusable each time. So clean up your test environment. So, okay, so there's a number of there's a number of things there and there, there are more as to, you know, what could cause flaky tests. You could be using, say, non-deterministic uh, values. So, for example, you could have um, a, a tests that pass at certain times of the day. And that's because you've you've dealt with you're dealing with dates and times and you've you've not taken into account that they actually change and go forward. So you could have failing tests after a certain point in time. There's 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 loads of reasons as to why you may have flaky tests. So let's talk now about why or oh, so let's talk about now how to actually fix those tests. How do you how do you go about debugging a flaky test? Well, what I tend to do is try and uh, isolate those flaky tests. So you want to make sure that the the majority of your tests will pass, right? So you've got a flaky test. So run that individually. Don't run the whole suite again. Run that test individually. If that passes, run it again. Does that does that fail? Run it again. 
Does that fail? Run it again. Does that fail? Okay, so running it individually passes, but running them together fails. That could be an indication as to why it's failing. It might be the the fact that it's the order in which it's placed in the test suite. It could be, again, like I said, something to do with resources. Maybe the resources of the test suite were consumed and not released by the previous tests. So you got to be a little bit of a detective here as to why these flaky tests are occurring. So run these separately first in isolation, right? So you know that the test can actually pass. And then what you should do is see if you can you can replicate a failing test, right? So you want to look for how to actually make it break and go through your logs. So every time you get a flaky test, fail. Every time you get a test, fail, have a look at the logs, see if there's anything in there that you can actually determine as to the root cause. Um, also, you, you, there, there is a tendency to ignore flaky tests and sort of like mark them as skipped and just, you know, get on with your life. Don't do that. <laughs> try not to do that. Um, try and fix them and try and fix them as a point of priority over the other new tests that you're doing. The thing that people always forget is that maintaining tests takes longer than actually writing tests, right? So you can write a load of tests, like just write a load of tests, right? But actually maintaining them takes a bit of time and care and is required to keep the application, you know, stable. Um, okay, so check system resources. This is another one. So you want to make sure that you're, you've got enough overhead in terms of RAM, in terms of CPU. You want to run the tests as well as uh, looking at the metrics whilst the tests are running just to see what's going on, just to see if you can find any patterns. Maybe there is a particular test that's spiking the CPU or spiking the RAM or something, and that will give you an indication. Maybe that test passes, but the test after it fails because, as I mentioned, the allocation of resources has already been consumed. Um, okay, so you want to check the order that the tests all run and see if there is a way of grouping tests together to make the test load a little lighter. Also, something that I am going to haven't done yet for the how to code well platform but will be doing in the in in the coming coming few months i hope is to actually look at ways to reduce the amount of things i'm testing at once so my flaky tests at the moment are happening because it's doing an acceptance test so i've got a, a number of tests i've got over, over 50 tests that run and it just goes through the whole platform doing various different things as a logged in user as a logged out user and, and all sorts what I want to see is um, that that would, I guess you would class that as a regression test. So what I want to see is if there is a way of running regression tests on a separate machine, um, maybe in, in, in the evening, maybe even in, on the cloud or somewhere. I've, I've mentioned before having a server in this office uh, that I just still haven't got around to looking into and getting, um, but that would, that, would, that would be used for a regression test. So maybe once every evening I would point it at a particular branch and run all the regression tests over it. In the meantime, whilst I'm developing, I would only want to test the actual areas of code that I've touched. So for example, if I'm if I'm working on stuff to do with user registration, I would only be running acceptance tests on user registration stuff. And there are things that you can do in GitLab that actually, you know, adds a little bit of intelligence to the Git pipe to the top to the pipeline, sorry, 
get my words out to the pipeline uh, that says only run these things if these particular rules are true. And one of the rules would be to look at a particular file. Has that file changed or that folder? Has everything in that things in that folder changed? Okay, let's run these particular tests. That way you can start being a little bit picky and choosy as to what tests run, which would reduce the resource uh, load on the actual on the actual uh, on the actual machine on the development machine on the test suite on say like a nightly build i would be running the whole regression all the time just to make sure but that would be on uh, on a specific server specifically for testing okay so you want to also also check timeouts as well so you want to make sure that uh, you have uh, enough timeouts to adhere to any kind of sleeps that you've got in your application all right so you also want to make sure if there's any risk risky tests that do any kind of race conditions maybe something happens before something is needed um and that can cause that can cause issues uh you want to also make sure i think i mentioned this about non-deterministic values so you want to check your inputs okay you want to make sure that you can actually define certain dates and uh, in a static fashion and say these are the dates that we are going to be testing we're not we're not generating the dates on the fly same with numbers same with calculations anything to do with any kind of uh, manipulation which happens automatically you want to be careful about and um, you you want to isolate I think I mentioned this you want to isolate these tests and just sort of see at what point they fail and then focus on those kind of things flaky tests though are things that happen all of the time if your system is under under underpowered then that can mean one of two things maybe you maybe it's underpowered maybe there is enough power in your system right but your tests require too much and that is a good test right to have all of these tests fail when you have a very super powered machine is actually quite a concern so what i tend to try and do is create some virtual machines where i'm actually limiting the resources that i'm giving these things and then I run the tests within those VMs. That's actually a really good way of seeing how how your your application copes when the resources are restricted. And obviously, you want to set some boundaries for that. So don't see these failing tests as a, a, a massive issue. Okay, they do need to be fixed, sure, but you could actually look upon these as a success in the sense that these are failing because the the resources are too low so we need to sort the resources out if if the resources are too low or the other way the tests are actually doing too much your code is doing far too much and it needs to be broken up into small little chunks and so that is a a route to refactor and to uh, break things down even further and test those bits in isolation as i mentioned okay so that's uh, flaky tests if you've got any questions thoughts if you've got um, any experience on flaky tests if you know of any workarounds any fixes any experience then do let me know at howtocodewell.fm forward slash contact thank you ever so much happy coding everyone and i'll speak to you again next week cheers bye bye